Hello, listeners. <laughs> Welcome back to another episode of the ATC All Things Corona podcast. With me is Dr. Ned Aram, Dr. Boffer, and Dr. Jenny Marchese. And I'm Dr. Gregor Winter. And we are once again reiterating that none of us is actually a doctor, so don't listen to any of our medical advice. So we wanted to give you a little update, uh, because since we last spoke, it was we last talked on the, on March 8th, and since then, a lot has changed in the world and in weightlifting once again. And yeah, just to put things into perspective, on March 8th, the U.S. had like 400, uh, sorry, 540 reported cases, positive cases of coronavirus. And today, you guys are crossing the 50K mark. So they're slightly ahead of one case Instagram follows. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much. Thank you very much. He'll be um, here all week, everyone. Solid, solid joke. Eight out of ten. All right. So I'll leave you guys to it. Have fun with the podcast. I did my part. <laughs> and right, uh, go out on a high note, Greg. Well done. <laughs> yeah. So a lot of things happened. Um. So where do we start with this, Ned? What do you think? Um. I think. I think we should probably just start with the weightlifting stuff, and then we'll general, you know, branch out into the world stuff. Um, mm -hmm. okay. You know, I don't know exactly how much was officially postponed at the time that we talked last, but obviously now everything's officially postponed, including the Olympics. Right. We have no continentals. Even the Pan Am Federation managed to cancel Pan American Championships. I think did they officially cancel it, or did they? Are they still oh, claiming it's going to be like held in June or something stupid? Um, Everything says postponed, I think, right? Yeah, it yeah. says postponed, but obviously nothing's happening in June. We all know that. So, yeah. but yeah. anyway, either way, everything is off until further notice. Is basically the way that I look at it. Um, I don't know. Has has USAW officially uh, postponed nationals, or are they still claiming no. that everyone's going to Chicago in May, which is hilarious? Phil made a statement um, like last week saying that because Nationals was the week following the official quarantine end date that it was still on. And he hasn't really spoken about it since then that I've seen. I mean, the thing is, there is no quarantine end date because like the, the, the federal government says, you know, follow these guidelines. And then one state says this, another state says that one city says this, another city says that there, there is no. There is no start and end date for anything in the U.S. by any means. I agree with that. I think there was a like a loose thought process at that time that it was 14 days. So should we restart? Should I make a stupid joke again? And then <laughs> I'm not going to laugh Welcome at back, a listeners. <laughs> Hello, <laughs> listeners. <laughs> so we just recorded a um, solid five minutes with an amazing joke. Myself. <laughs> Can we do this? Greg was killing it. Oh, yeah. yeah that was my, my moment of stand-up. And it's gone. Womp, womp. Womp, womp, womp. All right, everybody's back. Everybody can hear each other. Yeah. For yeah. now. Both are you recording? I I am recording. Yeah, and we do have a couple. I might actually have the first few minutes of uh, the the first round, so maybe we could we could cut that in or something, or leave it as a bonus. We can do that, but we can also Patreon only bonus. Yeah, Patreon five minutes. Patreon only. Gregor killing it with jokes. Worst joke. <laughs> Ever. Followed by four minutes of us saying, what? Can you hear me? <laughs> <laughs> All right. And let's bring it back on topic. Um, we just talked about the Olympics that got canceled or postponed, should we rather say, right? Postponed. Yeah. yeah postponed. Now. And Ned, can you uh, give us a timeline of how that happened? 
Um, well, as as far as I followed it, basically, um, I believe the the IOC had basically been, and the IOC and the Japanese government and the, the the organizing committee, which were really like the three main parties involved, if you don't count the athletes. And, you know, basically, as far as I can tell, those three parties didn't count the athletes. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. The... Uh, those three parties were basically saying, hey, listen, we know the Olympic Games are... And they've been saying this for a little while. They're like, listen, we know the Olympic Games are uncertain, they're under threat, but they're a long way off, so we're not going to make a decision yet. And they were they were like, the, we don't need to make the decision until May, or something like that. And I think that from their standpoint, they were thinking logistically we don't need to make the decision till may which maybe they're right about maybe they didn't need to decide officially till may you know based on like when broadcasters go and start setting up and like when sponsors start printing out banners to hang up and you know like maybe from their standpoint that's when they needed to decide but they weren't really thinking oh you know wait where where are all these you know people gonna train when their training center has been closed because people aren't allowed to be in pools together in their country or something like that. Right. So um, they were saying for a long time, we're going to make this decision in May. And then they just kept sticking to that. But as it was clear that this is only beginning to ramp up in a lot of countries, um, a few countries, notably Canada and Australia, I don't really know which one said it first. I think maybe Australia said it first. Um, Mm -hmm basically said uh we are not going to send our athletes to this olympic games if it's not postponed until next year um and at that point the ioc basically said or ioc had a meeting and you know i'm not sure exactly who was involved whether it was like between them and the organizing committee japanese government whatever some people you know really in charge had a meeting and they basically agreed that it would be um postponed and that was when uh everyone's favorite uh ioc member dick pound Richard william duncan <laughs> yeah exactly dick dick pound who dick pound. no one can get over that name everyone's like lol dick pound i just noticed that's a funny name and i'm like i'm like dude you're you're literally the eight million like, Seriously. More, more people like you know, have coronavirus than, or basically more people have noticed that joke than have coronavirus. So like it, it's just stupid. But anyway, so he, he basically, he's always like leaking stuff about what happens in these meetings, which is great. Um, but anyway, he just came right out. And he's like, yeah, the, the games are going to be delayed. So that was yesterday. And then today we got the word that like Shinzo Abe and Thomas Bach and or whoever else had basically, gotten on a call and had agreed to to delay the games a year so i don't think they've officially said like oh it's going to be the exact same date in 2021 but they basically said it's going to be in 2021 and they've said i mean most likely realistically it kind of has to be in the summertime for a bunch of different reasons so i don't know if it's going to be in like june july august whatever but sometime in the summer of 2021 is yeah, I remember they were very careful to word. They were saying by summer of 2021, so that was the furthest out point it would be. But I agree that it would be summer probably. Well, you can't hold the Summer Olympics in the winter for a bunch of reasons. I mean, what are you going to do? Like have people rowing down something <laughs> like like 20 degrees colder, you know, yeah. than than it it normally would be, or something like? There's a lot of 
you know, for weightlifting, it really wouldn't matter. Um, obviously, if they if they held it in like January or something, but I don't think they're going to do that. I think it ruins a lot of aspects of the coverage and the sports. And there's too many um, outdoor sports that would be heavily impacted by that. So I wouldn't put them. I wouldn't put it past them. Maybe moving the dates around a bit to make it earlier or something like that. But I don't. I don't see any way they can host it before maybe June of 2021. Yeah. I mean, I heard um, there was even criticism of hosting it during summer in Tokyo because it gets like really, really hot. So maybe they're looking into like doing it before summer or like late summer. Well, maybe there's a more temperate time. I mean, I've I've been in Tokyo in let's see when was it? It was. Um, I believe it was November of 2016 I was in Tokyo, and it was actually pretty, like, temperate climate. It wasn't too bad. Um, so well, maybe maybe there is a good time that I don't know about in the site, in the seasons that would be fine for hosting it or something. When was I? I was in Tokyo in August, and it was pretty miserable at that point, like, in terms of humidity and heat. I don't know if that, but that's the first time I've been there, uh, so I keep looking to compare it to. Well, Greg and I were there in the summer of 2017, and I was also there last summer in the summer of 2019. Um, and both times it was hot, but I wouldn't like go so far as to be like, oh, you know, unbearable hot sort of thing. Well, Qatar is like dry heat, so that's that's a lot different than yeah humid heat. So, but either either way, I mean, obviously, you know. We're not going to figure out exactly the dates, and I'm I'm guessing that they don't know the exact dates yet. They're probably trying to figure out, you know. Just think of the logistical nightmare to reschedule everything to have like the venues ready again. Yeah, there's going to be some venues that will have to change because they're simply not available during that time, and it's like, oh my god. Well, I doubt any venue is going to be like, well, you know, we had a concert book, so well, you know, Olympic Games can't happen, but they're definitely going to have to move a lot of stuff around. What I would be more concerned about than like, oh, this venue's booked, is I would be concerned about, I mean, some of these venues might have been kind of essentially kind of refurbished for the Olympic Games, and it essentially takes them in a lot of ways maybe out of commission for a long time, or they need to be like on refurbished for the Olympic Games and then re-refurbished. And by refurbished, I don't mean like oh, you know, we tore down the drywall, put new stuff up, you know, painted over it, whatever. I'm talking like they might have been reconfigured in terms of, like, construction to to suit the Olympic Games. And now, you know, they're not... It's basically... It's going to require a lot of undoing and redoing. Um, it, it is a huge hassle. There was a ton of uh, construction when I was there. Because I was there just before going to World. So, you know, this was like they're still preparing for the 2020 Olympics. And it was a massive amount of construction that was going on at the venue and then in the surrounding area. Like a lot of street closures already. Like it, it's really crazy even that far out how much work they were doing. It's a huge process. Yeah. Um, it's going to be a hassle for them no matter what. I mean, it, it's a hassle really for everyone. It's a big hassle for the athletes. Like. Yeah, imagine some of the reactions who um, basically organized their whole four years around kind of peaking for this. I'm thinking about people like like Heidi Diaz. Like Heidi was in pretty, I'm not going to say bad shape, but Heidi was not really in good shape in like the 2017 time frame. Um, 
because, you know, she took some time off and she's been like gradually ramping her training up. And, you know, this is going to be her fourth Olympic Games. So she's not she's not super old considering it's her fourth because she was so young in Beijing. But, um, you know, it's it's still like it's coming up on people's, you know, age issues and the idea yeah. of having to stay in peak shape for another like 15, 16 months is potentially really difficult on them. But they also don't really have the option to be like, well, you know, I'm going to take three months off, rest, recover, blah, 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 blah. Because then it takes them all this time to get back into shape. And it's like, it's it's a tough situation. I mean, and, well, well, someone had posed the question to me that, you know, is the whole, like if somebody had a spot that was secured, is that no longer the case? Like they're going to have to sort of refight for their, their places on the team again in that next year? Well, I think that's a good question. Uh, I mean, obviously, that's a question really for like the IWF. And as we all know, they'll wait till they can meet in person to discuss that. But, um, you know, which which will be like December at this rate. But uh, I I don't really know. But I would I would think the fair thing is to um, allow people to keep their places if they can. I mean, I don't know how you really enforce this, but. I mean, to me, people kind of earn their spots and they should get to keep their spots. But we also need to make sure that people don't just completely fall out of shape, completely, you know, like into yeah. ridiculous levels or whatever. So, um, yeah. And Boff earlier brought up a good point that 15 more months or like 12 more months in preparation might not be a big deal for somebody young like Lee, but it's a big deal if you're like 35 and, um, towards the end of your career like Lou yeah so, yeah. Lou was probably just waiting for this and then that's it retire and now he's got to think my god I need to put my body through another like you said maybe 9 to 15 more months of training and anybody who's passed that master's mark which Lou is at this point knows every year makes a big difference and so Lou might you know a shoe in for a gold medal might turn into somebody who doesn't get sent but it also... another, here's another issue too that a lot of people probably aren't thinking about is you know the the Chinese national games happen year after the Olympics like it might turn into this issue where it's like the Chinese athletes want to train for the Olympics or the Chinese national games yeah are we doing or, getting like a redo of is there going to be another worlds <laughs> we don't know. Like, how does that, this work? That will be is decided. This 2020 again. That will be decided at the IWF in-person meeting in December. So, we'll we'll have all the answers in a cool eight to nine months. Just any any minute now. Just be are patient. There, are there worlds? Are there continental championships? I mean, is there just going to be, be worlds not- and Olympics in one year? Yeah, exactly. Or is there going to be a worlds later this year? I mean, I'm looking at the um, Chinese national games, and I can't quite figure out exactly where they're, or sorry, when they're hosting them in 2021. Um, it just says which city and province it's going to be in. It doesn't say. I'm I'm sure on like Chinese language stuff, there's somewhere that says when it would be held. And we should note for people who don't know, like, because it might sound almost like you're joking, right? And the Olympics carry more prestige, but it is probably hard. It, not probably. It is definitely harder to win Chinese nationals in weightlifting in almost every category, barring the heaviest. So, But this isn't Chinese nationals, because Chinese have two nationals a year, usually. This is, this is the Chinese national games. That's what I mean, the national games. Oh. 
This is like Chinese Olympics, yeah. which is kind of a foreign concept because there's no German Olympics or U.S. Olympics. There's, but in China they have a national, essentially Olympic game that happens every four years. That's every sport. That's a huge deal. There's, um, I mean, don't don't get me wrong. The Olympic games are more important than the Chinese national games, even within China. But the Chinese national games are a really, really, really big deal. It's for sure it's the second most important competition every four years for Chinese athletes. You know, and the idea of them conflicting in the same year is a problem. I could even see the Chinese moving their stuff back a year because of it, if mm-hmm. if it's you know trying to be hosted a couple weeks apart. Like I said, Chinese national games are super important, but. Even even within China, the Olympic Games are more important because it's essentially about demonstrating China's superiority in different different aspects or whatever. One of the aspects is uh, locking places down, just to bring it back to the main topic. I mean, they are pretty good at that. They, they're pretty good at it. They've shown that they're they're better at it than than we are. Um, I mean, that's not the, the best I mean, case I, scenario. If you had asked me, you know, six months before all this started six months ago i would have said oh yeah the chinese were way better at locking down than we are we'll have people you know drinking in the streets and the chinese will be, you know shooting those people <laughs> yeah Maybe that scenario was basically the- sure arresting and not allowing them to do it yeah yeah i think this has really highlighted the inadequacy of american healthcare and officials in responding to pretty much anything outside the ordinary scope of disease or pandemic or anything yeah we don't have like mass capacity for anything of this type you know and i don't just mean hospitals or ventilators i just mean we don't have like mass capacity to handle something as simple as uh like the testing or even like the ability like one thing that we're going to need for sure if we want to reopen society efficiently is we're going to need some way for people to go find out if they've had it and be able to show that they've had it. You know what I mean? Like, I wouldn't be surprised to see countries requiring people to prove that they've had it to like get on planes to go in there without quarantine. Mm-hmm. That's you know? the most one of the most frustrating things is that you can't get tested for it around here. Like I have three or four friends who are sick and they have to call the healthcare provider. You're not supposed to just show up and they tell them not to come. Essentially, if you're not experiencing anything more than mild symptoms, you can't get tested for it. Unless Um, you are a Senator or an athlete or a billionaire. Right. So that, that skews the ability to like, you know, I mean, they should just know to self quarantine, but they don't necessarily do that. And then also it skews the, like our ability to understand the disease, like what, the actual mortality rate is, you know, versus the rate of infection. So it's like frustrating that you can't get tested. At least in California, you can't. Nowhere. Yeah. It's the same in Germany. I mean, you can, you can get tested. Like for instance, my dad got tested, but my dad got tested because he was sick. He had the symptoms. He didn't have really bad, like I can't breathe symptoms, but he had, you know, a fever and a cough and some of the other symptoms. And the problem is, is that my mom is a doctor. And so it was basically like they needed to know if my mom was going to be an issue to kind of go into the office and work. And so my dad got tested without any real arguments. Actually, his doctor suggested it. 
and my dad agreed to it. It wasn't my, my dad wasn't calling and begging people to do it. So in certain circumstances, they are testing, and um, the U.S. has ramped up testing. I think we've tested like three hundred something thousand people now. Um, let me let me look up the numbers. That hold on one second. Yeah, but then just yesterday, the day before, they were talking about ceasing testing or stopping the majority of testing because it wasn't they felt like exposing people was more dangerous than getting the actual information, which I think is ridiculous. Well, I I know what you're talking about. And by the way, I'm I'm not by any means apologizing for the testing situation. I think it's completely uh, um, inadequate. And I think it's it's going to it's going to make it so it's impossible for us to efficiently reopen parts of the country in 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 the time when it might be appropriate to do so. Um, so they, they will have to get real rapid local level testing available if they want to reopen the country without massive amounts of people showing up at hospitals a couple weeks later. So yeah. don't get me wrong, like th- they will have to figure this out. There there's no there is no solution to this problem that doesn't include a massive amount of testing. Um, yeah. or, or sorry, uh, or people dying. Um, so one of the, one of the two is going to happen. Um, well, actually, no, a third one could happen, which is we could just keep the economy shut down for like two years. Um, Trump said he's opening it up in two weeks, so we've got till then. That sounds plenty, you know plenty of time. You know what's good and bad about this whole thing is that no matter what Trump wants, this virus is going to just just beat him down again. Like, which is kind of good and it's kind of bad. Because it's kind of bad because we're never going to get out of this because Trump doesn't understand how to get out of it. And it's also kind of good because it's a little bit entertaining to watch him flail around <laughs> like an idiot. Um, and you know what? This, this whole thing really reminds me of that famous Mike Tyson quote, which is that everyone's got a plan until they get punched in the face. <laughs> Because, like, some reporter was asking him about, like, Evander Holyfield's plan against him, and he was just like, everyone's got a plan until they get punched in the face, and then that plan goes out the window because he just got punched in the face. So that's what's going to happen. Like, Trump's got a plan, you know, hey, we're going to reopen this, we're going to do this on, like, a rolling basis, we're going to, like, deploy ventilators where they're needed, blah, 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 blah. All right, well, here's what happens. You know, uh, 100,000 people show up to New York hospitals in the span of 10 days. Uh, okay, yeah, what's your plan now? Yeah. You know, you just got punched in the face. So um, basically, one of a few things could happen here. Um, you know, I think Trump's going to, just just because of, you know, how he is and how dumb he is, I kind of get the feeling that he's going to like start blaming governors and other people and stuff like that, or blame Democrats for uh, he will something. Blame, I think he blamed Obama for some stuff that he did. I think he blamed him for like disbanding the uh, pandemic team, and despite Trump having done, that. I mean, he doesn't. Yeah. The reality doesn't bother him. He's not constrained by what he did or said or what truth is or anything like that. No, nah, he won't. He won't like change his his ways of doing stuff which is like i said it's it's pretty scary because without him changing his ways of how he does stuff and how he manages and how he kind of delegates to to real experts i don't really see us getting out of this without some real massive massive problems um 
which is kind of sad, but, you know, I mean, we kind of get what we get for electing an idiot. <laughs> and, and by the way, I'm like some people out there who are Trump supporters or, you know, kind of Republican leaning or whatever. I actually I agree with a lot of Republican concepts in theory. Now, it doesn't mean I agree with what the Republicans actually do in in government. But I agree with a lot of the concepts of the the theory of the party. But Trump is just it, it, like from day one, I've literally just said the biggest problem with the guy is that he's stupid. Yeah. You know, there are a lot of people in the Republican Party that have sort of like um, given up on the Republican Party because of him. Like he does not appeal to a lot of Republican people. That's why the people that are stuck near him now are you know, alternative right and not just, you know, your average everyday Republican. Yeah, it's like he's clearly not like Trump isn't actually a Republican as part of the issue. Um, I would also argue that a lot of the Republicans in Congress aren't really Republicans. They're not all of them. Some of them are 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 kind of, you know, a little, a little bit more what I would call actually Republican. But a lot of them just are are basically like they do nothing but uh, kind of just like partisan politics. Now I'm not saying the Democrats don't also. Some of the stuff that the the Democrats have tried to put into this bill are completely unrelated to um, you know anything to do with this. Like when the Republicans say that the Democrats put in a wish list of stuff that has nothing to do with the coronavirus. I mean, don't get me wrong; they're they're right about that. The reason for that is because the Republicans won't even discuss or entertain the idea of a lot of these things, which are reasonable proposals, like the idea of early voting or the idea of uh, same day voter registration or stuff like that. They don't want that because it's bad for them, not because it's bad for the country. You yeah. know what I mean? So they will do whatever they can to prevent people from voting. Exactly. Like, you know, the, it's. I understand what they're saying, which is that, oh, well, you know, early voting and uh, carbon neutral stuff for, you know, airplanes and blah, 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 has nothing to do with coronavirus. But the the Republicans are in the business of denying the science of climate change, and they're in the business of denying people to vote. So essentially, they force Democrats into playing their games of sneaking stuff into bills. And also, I'm not going to sit here and say the Democrats haven't been sneaking stuff into unrelated bills for as long as I've been, or you know, longer than I've been alive. And it's kind of a common practice. And actually, what what kind of took out the poker industry was something called the UIGA, which is Unlawful Internet Gaming Enforcement Act, or something like that. So the UIGA was passed in 2006, and it was snuck into a bill about port security. So, I, I mean, I've been affected by unrelated legislation being stuck in for years. And of all the people who snuck it in, it was Mitch McConnell because he was trying to protect the Kentucky horse gambling, whatever, <laughs> industry. So, like, I've been, I've been affected by Mitch McConnell and his ridiculous politics for, for much longer than, you know, a lot of people have even known his name. Um, but like the thing is, is that, you know, the, the Republicans really, really can't like they, they've got no leg to stand on with the idea of like blocking stuff and getting in the way and 
um, refusing to discuss things and blah. Like that's that's all they do. Like yeah. they they do that all the time. I struggle you know? to really like. I mean, I've I've voted Democrat my entire voting life, but at the same time, I struggle to really truthfully separate uh, politicians in general. I think that there are. Some people that I agree with more than others, for sure. But the kind of person that does really well in that job is the last kind of person that you actually want in that job. Like, truthfully, I think the idea that saying that any of them are doing this, you know, for altruistic reasons would be uh, silly. You know, it's just like uh, one's the devil I know. One's one I agree with more than the other. I just want to read a quote from March 5th by Donald Trump on Twitter with approximately 100,000 coronavirus cases worldwide and 3,200 United States, 3,200 deaths in the United States because of quick action on closing our borders has of now only 129 cases. We are working very hard to keep these numbers as low as possible. What, what's the number today? 51K. 51,000. So maybe we'd be higher had he not acted so quickly to keep those numbers low. But like you said, you know, you're butting up against reality here and so and there's public record of all of this so but whether or not that will matter i don't think right like people will believe what they want to believe about his handling of it yeah i'm kind of anticipating a republican storyline of well you know no one really handled the coronavirus case well and like trump handled it much better than could be expected blah 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 blah. and like you know look this and that but the thing is, I, I don't know if they're going to be able to do that if the U.S. is, like, leading the world in tests or whatever. <laughs> like, like, and I would not be shocked at all if we, we end up in that position because we have the combination of the, the population. Now, granted, we don't have anywhere near, you know, China or India population. But we have the right combination of, like, the population and the people that don't listen and yeah. – the uh, science-denying governors and the, um, you know, the kind of, you know, leadership overall that wants to get back to work, like, in a couple weeks or whatever, it's just not going to, it's just not going to work out because we have such a bad plan. Like, like there's no way that this could work out. Like, Weren't that, we testing less people than Italy was testing as of this week? It's difficult to say because you can't necessarily go off of people because it it, ha- it has a lot more to do with like population density and how many people you're testing in different areas. It's really really difficult to say who's testing more people efficiently or effectively or whatever. Like there's I've read a couple articles about this and there's no clear answer. It all depends on which way you want to put it or whatever. Right. Per capita, we are lower as a country but for instance in new york we're testing a ton of people now they've said that they're going to like slow down testing in new york because they're running out of ppe but they're still testing a lot of people in new york on a daily basis now um and so that's a difficult question to answer but for sure our testing the biggest problem with our testing is actually not the total number of people that we've tested it's it's when we did those tests. If we had done all, if we had moved every test we did a month up, we would be in so much better shape. But we were what basically what's happening is is like, you know, a week ago we should have been doing, um, let's say some. I'm just going to throw out a random number, even though I don't have like analysis to back this up. 
you know, we should have tested like 50,000 people a day a week ago. And now we might be testing 50,000 people a day. But the trouble is, is that the it's gotten more out of control and it's growing in areas where we're not doing the testing because we're like, it's not a hot spot. What they don't understand is that this whole thing is on a lag. You don't know where hot spots are. You know where the hot spot was a few weeks ago. Now, of course, also- the hot spot a few weeks ago is 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 now an inferno spot yeah. is the problem. I mean, and this yeah. this goes back to January, if not December. <laughs> so there's really no excuse that, you know, late March, mid-March is when you start to think, oh, wait, this is maybe something to pay attention to and, and be aware of and worry about. South Korea, Singapore, and Taiwan. If anyone responded appropriately, I would say they did. I mean, really, you know, I, I personally think that, that uh that taiwan's is the best because taiwan you know what was great about taiwan was that they because they're not part of the world health organization they just kind of come up with their own plan their own information and like literally within a day of hearing about this in december they started putting people on flights from wuhan to taipei because they had direct flights. So they, they literally had people like walking around the gate, you know, looking at anyone who looked like they could be sick, screening people for symptoms mm-hmm. and like, you know, basically uh, pulling aside anyone who might be an issue, et cetera, et cetera. And like, they've been doing temperature scanning. They've been doing advanced, um, kind of like contact tracing where, and they've also been doing the thing where they, what they do is they give you a government-issued cell phone if you're put into quarantine, and they track where it is, obviously. And you could make the argument like, oh, well, what if they just leave the cell phone behind in their apartment and then go to the store? What they do is they call you uh, basically multiple times through the day, and they um, uh, and they make sure that you're you're actually with that phone. And if you don't comply... You literally get fined something like a hundred fifty thousand new Taiwan dollar, which is somewhere in the range of like thirty something thousand U.S. dollars. So there, there are substantial fines for violating this. Didn't you send a tweet to a group chat of this guy who first um, maybe turned off his phone? His no, no, his phone ran out of battery. It at ran out of thirty battery. in the morning. Yeah, and he said by eight he'd gotten multiple calls. And by 8.15, the police were at his door. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's that serious. Now. And to be fair, Taiwan is about 20 million people. It's an island, right? There's a very different situation there compared to the U.S. But Well, it- that's really not a big factor. You know, Taiwan had more direct flights from Wuhan than the U.S. does. Uh, Taiwan was also going to be involved heavily in, like, the... The Chinese New Year, basically migration of people. There's a lot of people that go back and forth between Taiwan and the mainland. Like Taiwan had a lot of things stacked against it. And also, I don't really get the whole argument of like, oh, Taiwan has 20 million people. We have 300 something million people because we should have the same ratios of stuff. We should have the same ratios of health workers. We should have the same ratios of policemen. We should have the same ratios of, you know, uh, basically like people to check stuff at borders like obviously our numbers are going to be bigger but it's just scaled up you know it's not easier to to do it necessarily when you're smaller or bigger as long as you have the same ratios of basically staff and 
and competency. I think it comes down way more to do with the fact that Taiwan was ready and we weren't than, than anything else. I mean, they, they had the systems in place. They had the command center. They were basically watching it carefully. I mean, the WHO put out a tweet on like January 14th that okay. said that China said there was no evidence of human-to-human -human transmission. Meanwhile, China knew like for over a month at that point that there was human-to-human -human, human -human transmission. So the WHO was just being a Chinese puppet at that point. Mm -hmm. And Taiwan was like, you know what, we know that the Chinese are lying about this. So we're just going to ignore it because, you know, fuck it. It's, you know, we're trying to protect ourselves. And meanwhile, Trump is at that point probably had barely even heard of it. Taiwan, as of today, 216 total cases, uh, 21 new today and two total deaths. They also I mean, have national health insurance. Sorry, what were you going to say? They also have national health insurance which I think is maybe one of, if not the biggest factor in getting this under control early on because everybody gets tested, everybody can get treated, you can mobilize it. It's not like a dozen different insurance companies or hospitals or whatnot. So, See, I, I both agree with you and disagree with you because, frankly, Italy has national health insurance. They're not doing well. I mean, there's lots of countries out there with that, like, you know, Great Britain has national health insurance. They've kind of. Well, like, but they've also eroded their nationalized medicine in recent years. And if anything, their recent failure is perhaps a sign of w why it's not a good idea to erode the protections of nationalized health care. Italy is, Italy, Italy is really struggling. They also have the oldest population in Europe. And they have a culture that encourages younger people to visit old people. They have a really friendly culture. Like. Italy. I mean, I think what you're saying they is all smoke and kiss each other. They all smoke and kiss each other at the same time. Yeah. They're all old the and smoke and kiss each other. Exactly. All the stuff that you're saying, I think, are bigger factors than the national health care factor. Um, now, don't get me wrong. I think that they are all factors. Like, if you're going to say, like, well, what's better, national health care or not national health care? I mean, obviously, it's a factor, um, and it's definitely better to have it. Um, I think for a lot of reasons other than just you know, controlling coronavirus. Yeah. But I don't think that if the U.S. had, you know, put in like a single payer, you know, Medi Medicare for all sort of thing like three years ago, that wouldn't have saved us here. Like, because we were doing too many other things wrong. Um, you know, like what, Great Britain, right? They did so many yeah. things wrong. They yeah. just recently, just yesterday, they put in a proper lockdown proper in quotes um yeah most countries are just too too late with that but even germany even although germany at least you have a leader who uh, believes in science i think both great britain and the u.s we ended up with leaders who think that you know dogma and bluster is more important than reality in science and in some areas maybe that works right if there's like gray zones but I, you know in healthcare and medicine i don't know that there are those gray zones like it's hard to butt up against the realities of transmission and mortality. And so you can say whatever you want, but the numbers aren't going to uh, cover you. Yeah, it's this is like it's it's kind of uh, I, and I don't mean this in the wrong way, but it's kind of satisfying to watch this play out. And I don't mean that in the sense of like watching 
deaths happen all over the world because that's really sad. I feel bad for a lot of these people. But who I don't feel bad for are stupid politicians who got themselves into this own, their own mess because they're so they're so stupid. Like I feel bad for the people. I don't feel bad for the politicians. Yeah. Like it's satisfying to watch the politicians struggle through their own bullshit. Mm-hmm. And it's really mm-hmm. sad to watch a lot of innocent people get told the wrong thing because you know not everyone else like I mean I was following this from mid January. Um Yeah, you were on um, top of shit. Like, yeah, I was I was buying masks and other... Now, I know people are going to be like, masks are for healthcare workers, blah, blah, blah. I didn't, like, I didn't, like, stockpile, you know, thousands of masks. I have enough masks for me to go to, like, the grocery store and other places because, frankly, I, I believe that a good mask... And by the way, I, I would wear goggles as well, as, as stupid as some people might think it is. But, like, a good mask and a good set of goggles are going to make it a lot harder for me to get infected because someone, you know, down the aisle is coughing or something like that. So um, I don't really care what people think. Like, I think it's a good thing for people to own masks. And I do realize that the healthcare workers need them. But, you know, it's they, they've kind of forced us into this, like, everyone for themselves situation. Like, I don't really feel safe in the U.S. right now because... I don't I'm not really convinced that if I get this virus and I need oxygen or I need a ventilator, I mean it's unlikely I will because of my age, but like I don't really feel safe that like oh I'll be able to like go down to the hospital and get that and even if I do go down to the hospital and get it that I'm not going to get some like $14,000 bill from it. Mm-hmm. You know, so you know why would I go give masks that I bought to a hospital when they're going to bill me some insane amount of money to, you know, put like tubes in my throat, you know, like it just doesn't make any sense. Like I'm, I bought masks to, to protect myself, you know? And we, you know, we talked about it in one of the early podcasts, you know, about buying masks. Like, like I said, I don't have an insane number. I don't have, uh, you know, some, some crazy stockpile, but you know, I have enough to basically deal with, what I anticipate to be my shopping trips during this uh, crisis, because I feel like it's a better thing that I have them and I just never go to the hospital at all. And I've seen people tweeting about this, but when you think of the things we do stockpile as a country, which includes like literally billions, if not trillions of dollars in arms and weapons and nuclear arsenal and whatnot, like why the fuck don't we have a stockpile of masks and medical equipment? And it, of course, it's probably because. Uh, well, we do. It's just really small, it, right? Exactly. It's not like we have. You know, everyone gets one, and that's it. But like, we're also the biggest arms dealer in the world to other people, so we have a lot more reasons to stockpile those things well, than masks. maybe we should start asking for payment in masks or something because clearly, yeah. and other medical supplies because clearly we are not prepared on those fronts. At all, which is remarkable. I mean, we're seeing that people are worried and we're not even at the, I mean, places like New York, right? Like they're not at the peak and they're starting to worry. And people I mean, they're are, really, they're pretty far from the peak. They're far from the peak and people are fucking sewing masks at home. And like, there's this, you know, and maybe it's great, right? People like contributing and whatnot. But I'd be like, you live in the fucking richest country on the planet. You don't, you shouldn't have to sew masks at home. Like, your your government should have these things. You're a healthcare worker. You're an emergency worker. Like 
you shouldn't be, re- you know, relying on somebody's like repurposed cotton boxers to prevent to protect you from uh, a coronavirus. Oh, sorry, just not a not a U.S. issue. Like even where healthcare is free, like in Germany or like in Italy, people have to reuse the masks in hospitals. People wear the same mask for like ten hour shifts and have to clean them and use them the next day, basically. The majority of the people distributing this product are oftentimes, it's not just going to the United States. Do you know what I mean? So like when one place runs out, then a lot of people run out as a result of that one place running out. Like I worked for a medical distribution company in my early 20s and we had things that went to, uh, you know, France, we had things that went to China, we had things that went to America, we had things that went to consumers, we had things, so like all these things are interconnected in a lot of the larger. So when a bunch of people go out to the store, you know, in a, in a feverish panic and buy a bunch of masks because they're, they're not thinking clearly and they're nervous and they want them for themselves, they don't think it impacts other people, it actually directly impacts doctors and nurses. It's, you know, these are all the same companies that produce this product. Which, again, would make you think maybe a sort of, if only the White House had some sort of pandemic response team, <laughs> tell the government, hey, we should, you know, this is what we should have to be prepared. Here are some numbers, you know, here's a range, buy somewhere in that. If only we had that. Oh, man. It's not, it's not just the pandemic response team, though. What it really comes down to is is like funding and priorities beyond having, you know, five or 10 people in the White House, you know, now now if we had five or 10 people in the White House and we had a well-funded program and we had a president who listened to experts, then we we would be well off because you really need all of them. Just having like if, if Trump had kept the pandemic response team and still didn't listen to them because he's thinking about the stock market and the economy and he wants to like cheerlead the Dow over twenty or thirty thousand or something. It, it really wouldn't have helped. Yeah, you know, like it 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 wouldn't have helped that much. Now maybe it would have given us like maybe they would have been able to convince him a little bit earlier. Maybe they would have been able to do certain things a little bit earlier. But like the the idea of like the the CDC being so inefficient and so restrictive in their testing policies and the the idea that like. Trump managed to convince himself that by banning Chinese nationals, uh, like, you know, several weeks after this had really, like, started to grow significantly, the idea that that would somehow stop this, like, you know, like, it, it's, it was just bad idea after bad idea. That's really what it came down to. And the pandemic response team is only as good as the president who's listening, you know. Mm-hmm. When did that get next? Last year or two years ago, maybe. I think it was like officially 2018 when when that got got nixed, and then there were other cuts too. Like they pulled um, basically a uh, CDC person out of China who was supposed to be in China, kind of like early <laughs> early morning monitoring system to to see. But it wasn't just China. Like they pulled people out of a lot of countries because basically Trump looked at it as like useless bureaucracy because to him. Anything that didn't like cut regulations, cut this, cut that, or somehow make his family wealthier was just not of interest to him. I yeah. do I agree with the statement, though, that, you know, these things are probably not that important because he wouldn't have, you know, acted any quicker or it would have been marginal. Yeah. I mean, if 
you know, put it this way. If you if you had taken if you gave me the choice of Trump in office with a pandemic response team with someone on the ground in China with this with that. And you'd said, oh, well, instead, we're going to put someone smart in office and get rid of all of that. I would have taken put someone smart in office and get rid of all of that because yeah. I'm not convinced that Trump would have listened because no. to, him, to him, it just wasn't a threat. I mean, and, you know, there's been a lot of reports the last couple of days about U.S. intelligence agencies having sounded the alarm in January saying this is a big issue. This is a big issue. And Trump essentially ignoring it. Because he was too focused on, well, uh, well, you know, if we make it a big issue and start shutting stuff down and cutting off travel and cutting this and cutting that and testing people, we're going to make ourselves look like the epicenter. I mean, there were all these reports in Italy when they first started testing a lot in the north when people were showing up sick of all these people saying, oh, you know, why are we testing so much? We're making Italy look bad. No one's going to want to come here. And no one understands that the disease is going to progress whether you test it or not. Like, you got to stop it. Because at the end of the day, you know, China, I mean, put it this way. Most people think that Chinese sources lied about their numbers. Um, whether or not they lied, we all know that they had a lot more than like 80,000 infections. I mean, even the Chinese would admit, okay, yeah, we, we missed infections because people stayed home because they had recoverable symptoms. So even if you're taking the Chinese numbers completely 100% as truthful, we all know that China had several hundred thousand infections at a minimum, and most likely uh, significantly more, especially in um, Hubei province. So it's just like you, you can't think that somehow even, like, I mean, put it this way, China, okay, uh, I'm just going to give a number, a pretend number. Let's say China had a million infections. Do you realize what percent of their population that was? That's like that's like below 0.1% of their population. And that's even if you go well above what they say and well above what the evidence suggests. I mean, even if you go 10 million, it's still less than 1% of their population. And the idea that it's 10 million and they had 3,000-something people die, or even if they're lying about that, I mean, who knows? But the, the point is, is that a, even, even if you're extremely skeptical, it's almost impossible to conceive of the idea that more than a tiny, tiny, tiny percentage of the Chinese population got infected and their healthcare system got completely overrun. So there is no ignoring this. You know what I mean? No, no politician anywhere in the world, including, you know, uh, authoritarian regimes like China, no one is going to be able to just be like, eh, you know, it's fixed. Like, there's all these reports about how Wuhan is starting to open up back now, but the Chinese are hiding cases and blah, 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 blah. Like, the Chinese aren't going to be able to hide a real outbreak in Wuhan because the same thing will just happen again. So they've got to keep testing. They've got to keep finding people that are infected, and they've got to keep knocking those numbers down. There, there is no other way. Like, any system that thinks that they're going to get this under control by kind of ignoring it is completely wrong. Like, and th they'll all get proven wrong in a, in a brief time period. It doesn't take that long. We're, we don't have to wait a year for anyone to get proven wrong. Like this is going to happen fast, you know? So anyway, I, I mean, it, it, there's basically nothing that, um, that, that Trump can do to, to avoid what, what he hates doing, which is like I said, is a little bit satisfying to watch. 
it'd be nice if we come out this with a, a better respect for science, for medicine, for do- actual doctors, and and for preparedness, right? Like, no, no, no. no. I mean, I, right, Jen, I'm with you, right? <laughs> no, 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 as, no, as a species, we're, we're just remarkable at, at you know not learning. I mean, this is unfortunately, I think you're right. But in my dream world. In whatever, however many months this takes, we we come out the other end. We're like, you know what? Maybe we should listen to scientists. Maybe on things like health, the environment, uh, any number of things where we have pretty clear cut answers. We should listen to science, and we can, you know, we can fight about uh, things like the press out in weightlifting or what the weight classes should be. But there are some things that we should just accept from experts. But uh, I'm with you. I don't think it's going to happen. Well, one thing I do think will happen. Sorry, go ahead. No, no, no. My tangent is going to be unrelated and probably get me into trouble. So go. (laughs) go (laughs) I was going to say that one thing I do think will happen, which I, I love the idea of this, by the way, is that I think that vaccines will become required in a lot of places. Because once the vaccine comes out for this, there's no government no state government anywhere in the U.S., even in the most ridiculously backwards ones, that would be like, oh, yeah, you know, it's it's okay to just roll around without a vaccine for this. Mm-hmm. So, Does anybody here get a flu shot in this group? I do. I get flu shots. Every year. Really? I missed mine for the last, like, three years, I think. Every year. Oh, man, I've had the flu a few times, and it's and it's not, you know, it's not guaranteed. It's not, like... You know, it's a gamble. You yes. get a flu shot. Maybe it protects you. Maybe you just get a milder case. But yeah, every every year, it's like twenty anywhere from twenty nine to forty one percent effective. I think this year we have a pretty good one. Well, we did for <laughs> <laughs> not for coronavirus. <laughs> yep. Yeah, every I, year. What were you going to say that was going to get you to lose like a thousand? No, no, no. It yeah, was like a whole on. separate re- re- religious statement. I'm not going there. <laughs> No, 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 no. We've got, we've it's got time. It's bad enough. My company's just. I mean, I'll, I'm all about religion bashing. Let's do this. No, 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 no. no. <laughs> uh, let's bring it back to weightlifting. Um, what? Yeah, some people are struggling with this, keeping peak shape, but also for some people, it will be a great opportunity to reach their old peak shape. People like Sorok Muradi has been recovering from uh, shoulder surgery for the longest time now. Unfortunately, he is in a country that is pretty hard hit by this. So we I haven't seen anything from him in a while. Um, but if he is in shape, yeah, this could be his chance. I, I, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I guess it depends, too, how the qualification goes. I was just going to say, yeah, yeah, it depends how the qualification turns out. And before the Olympics got canceled, I was told that they were about <laughs> to count the entries to the Continentals, like, Whoever was um, on the entry list for continental championships, that would have counted for the sixth competition event in, uh, for the qualification. Mm-hmm. But I guess now that's um, – I'm expecting that to be completely void now. Yeah. I think well, we got like nothing but time to kill now. Yeah. Right. I mean, it's, it's interesting because now – so the IWF put those changes, but were they ever actually accepted by the IOC? That's a – Good question. I have. No I don't. Idea. I don't think they were officially accepted, but I think that's because the IOC has been busy trying to figure out, yeah. like, yeah, refunds to people for. So then I, mean, I they wonder. They have to deal with like, like, like 
all the sports like missing their qualification. Yeah. It wasn't just weightlifting, it was like boxing and like basically every sport was affected by this. Yeah. And people were missing qualification left and right. I mean, so there's the issue of people getting healthy, right? Which is interesting because it might mean people who weren't a viable option become a better option than people who've qualified. There's the other issue of now you have to stay healthy for another year or uh, if you're somebody like Maddie Rogers, who is walking around not in her regular weight class, you have to stay out of your weight, your usual weight class, or where you feel comfortable, maybe for another year, perhaps. Or if you're a lighter mm -hmm. athlete, you got to plan that way. Well, I I have an idea actually about like what they should do for this. Um, now we'll see if I'm right or wrong. I was I would say I was like I wasn't right about what they should do for the for this, or at least they changed it to a slightly different thing than what I said, but. I knew that they were going to have to get rid of the last meet requirement. And even though they're saying, oh, you have to be on the list, what they essentially did was change it to five meets. Here's what I think they should do. And this is what I think is the most fair thing to do, is to make it so it's no longer four scores that count, but it's five scores that count. And you have to meet a minimum percentage of your basically prior Roby points in another competition. And basically the idea would be that the competitions would happen next spring. And if you don't compete there and you don't set basically a minimum Roby percentage of what you were doing before, then you, you essentially forfeit your spot. It's like a fitness test, essentially. It's yeah. basically like you have to show now basically. And what, what it's doing is, like I said, you're changing it to five instead of four to give people who were like right on the border or people were right on the border inside or right on the border outside a bit of an incentive to, you know, to, to be in good shape. But someone who was dominant, like lost and loses spot because he had like a slightly bad day, yeah. like less than his whatever. But then what you would be doing then is you'd be making it so, you know, people would need to put up a, a pretty good total um, and I would give people maybe more than one chance at it. You know, like I would say that, you know, there would be some more cup meets that were being held and stuff just so that way someone who, you know, that, that way if like Lasha somehow bombs out, he's not out of the Olympics. But, um, I think that's the only way you can do it because you need to be able to verify that people are staying in shape. You don't want like, you don't want, you know, what people were doing at 2019 worlds to be the determinant of what people are competing in 2021. You know, I think I think that's like a fair-ish way to do it. That still puts heavy, heavy weight on the prior qualification that already happened. Because it's also unfair, in my mind, to just reset everything and be like, okay, yeah. new qualification system, rapid yeah. qualification. Everyone needs to compete three times from September to May. You know, and you all need to lift heavy every single time. And blah, like, you know, you can't. You can't throw away what's already been done, but you you need to impose additional requirements, even if it is possibly going to cost borderline people a spot that they would have had anyway. I bet I'm just guessing here, but my guess is they'll just do a, a participation requirement and that's it. Because I, I have to imagine if you're from China or... Uh, you know, probably even some of the U.S. athletes now, maybe not all, but people who are from countries where they have a shot at a medal, they're going to, I mean, they're going to train because that's where their funding comes from, right? 
And the IWF will probably just accept if you're from a country where you never were in the running and you show up and you're not in shape, whatever. Like, I don't, because then I don't know. I wonder if athletes would have some recourse to, like, in the court of arbitration of sport or whatever to say, you know, this was the system. You've changed it twice now. How can you, like, retest me? Blah, blah, blah. But I mean, it'd be nice if they had some kind of fitness check like you're talking about but my guess is they'll say participation so they can do drug testing and just hope that you know you don't show up in in like our shape for example well i don't i don't think the iws to do something like that but i also don't think it's a good idea you know so i would put it that way there was actually one question we got on, on Twitter from James Hardwick. He asked, like, what's the impact on drug testing on this? What do you guys think? Because right now, um, <laughs> people are going nuts. If you nuts. wanted to do a, oh, oh my a cycle, God. <laughs> like, it's the time to do it right now. Dude, anybody with short acting tests right now <laughs> is walking around like <laughs> to the gills. And this is coming from a doctor. Right? Uh, this I mean, is the coming from is, a doctor. Does, does it even really help anyone that much? You know, to be to be on drugs fifteen months out from the Olympics oh when there's God. like all in testing, 100%. it doesn't help that much. Absolutely, because uh, those those don't go away. Those, yeah, you're recovering. I, mean, I, I think the whole argument of like the stuff doesn't go away and there's this big lasting advantage is, I believe it's less impactful than people think. Like, I think you have to be on drugs closer to a competition to really, like really get an advantage that like can't be overcome i mean you can just look at Ilya for an example of that you know like Ilya was on drugs for how long and now he's like like barely clean and jerking 200 yeah i mean no i i think you're right right to get to those levels that's absolutely true but let's say it gives you you know and this varies right but let's say 15 percent uh advantage which is kind of standard assumption although again it varies and there are a lot of factors well, fifteen percent while you're on, or fifteen percent like a year later. While you're on, while you're on, that's what I mean. Okay, while you're yeah, on. that's fair. Yeah, yeah. Let's say. But how but, is it going to help you to be on in March of 2020 when you're trying to, you know, win a medal in July of 2021? I don't think it really helps that much. So, I mean, if you're marginal, I think it may. Let's say it gives you a two percent difference. That might be the difference between a podium and not a podium, or gold and not gold. <laughs> And with I Ilan, mean, for that, example. Net, What's that? Net, yes. I think, sorry, Osanet, uh, I think you said to me that one big advantage is um, you actually can train heavier reps, like, more constantly, more consistently, and yeah. therefore refine your technique um, for heavier weights and stuff. I mean, I, I agree and disagree. I'm not saying there's no advantage, but I don't really think it's a uh, a major like overwhelming factor what's a bigger overwhelming factor is like who is somehow able to dodge testing three weeks out you know like oh yeah closer you can get to the competition obviously that will have a bigger effect yeah Yeah. i i think that if i mean i put it this way i think that's a much bigger factor as to like the like the um the the general testing scheme over like the next year plus than it is like what the testing scheme's been like over the last month or something you know mm-hmm. I, I don't i don't think it's that big of a deal if there's a lull in testing this far out i feel like it's relatively minor as long as testing is truly random um you know 
actually good testing that's you know kind of looking for things that are kind of uniform uh, detectable at minute levels stuff like that like good testing over the like like even, let's say they they restart testing in July or something like that if if that testing is really good from July to July that's way more important than if they're testing right now at like the historical IWF level of you know people kind of being able to get around stuff yeah but if we're not still testing let's say in November you know every month that goes by I th- it's just obvious but you're now yeah in that much better position well, at, at some point, I do agree with you. They need to restart efficient testing. I just don't think it's as big of a deal right now as some people might think. But, I mean, who cares, really? It's just like, yeah, it, it's yeah. you know, it's something that obviously has to get ramped back up. And if nothing else, it has to get ramped back up so, you know, we don't have, you know, nine of 12 athletes in the, you know, the 94 <laughs> or the 96 kilo session test positive And all of a sudden, the person who was like, you know, sixth in the B session gets gold or whatever. Yeah. Um, you know, so, so that's speaking of testing though, another issue, and this I think, uh, is an issue for somebody like Loredana countries that are facing a year ban were potentially mm. out of Tokyo. Right. And this would have included Colombia and Romania. And I don't know if anybody else was in that group, but now if you can get your ban put through, like if you can get that put through and you get your ban starting now, uh, we don't know when Tokyo 2020 in the next year is going to happen, but it would mean you're eligible all of a sudden. But the funny thing was they actually tried to um, postpone the bans. Yeah. So, <laughs> so right now. Now they're like, quick, quick, get my ban. Oh my you change your mind. <laughs> yeah, now they'll rush it, rush the ban. You know, there's another thing to consider, which is the whole, um, like, 10-year, uh, how many positives do you have, how many spots do you lose thing. Oh, yeah. Because I, I wonder, are some of the positives going to like fall out of the window? I don't know exactly what the window was. I can't remember if it was like from 2008 on. Was it 12 years or 10 years? I thought but it was from 2008. Take, well, if they take out the um, if they take out the 2008 positives because <laughs> it's like past the 12 year mark, then would all of a sudden a bunch of countries that were set to lose spots? Kazakhstan sending a full back. team, Bulgaria, Armenia, <laughs> Azerbaijan. <laughs> going to be amazing like, well i don't know about azerbaijan because their their positives were mostly later but there's definitely going to be an issue with that if if the wording of it says like the trailing 12 years uh well okay you got to take out those 2008 positives and that might benefit someone like maybe russia who had a bunch of positive retests from 2008 or you know armenia who had a bunch of positive retests like armenia was set to go over the 20 person mark because I don't think they've announced it yet, but there's been like persistent rumors that they had a 20th positive. Um, and so, so there was this thought process that like Gore wouldn't be able to go to the Olympics yeah. because Simone would be the only Armenian male. Um, but now they might slip back under the 20 mark, even if they do have another positive. And, you know, then all of a sudden Gore is going again. So it's like, it's going to be interesting how they how they deal with this, but I am waiting to see and laugh at some of the timings of some of these bands, because the one thing you can always count on historically with the IWF is some very sketchy timing where it's like, oh yeah, you know, uh, they just, 
they just happen to come off the ban a day before world starts what a coincidence <laughs> like yeah. like you would see that stuff happen so often that you would you, i i mean maybe it's just the conspiracy theorist to me but i was like personally convinced that there were that there were discussions happening in in offices about like a hundred percent that is you <laughs> if you weren't thinking that there'd be something wrong by the way so it looks like the period for violations is not rolling it's july 27 2008 to april 30th 2020 but i wonder what that means move it so then after april like are they going to extend that until 2021 or are they just not going to count tests after 2020 that are positive? I, I think that they have to extend it. The question is, is did they put some language in that says 12 years or whatever? You know what I mean? Like, um, if they did put some language in that says 12 years, they might have to, like, move both of those dates, you know? And given that we know, like, most of the people, like, at the top of the IWF are from affected countries... <laughs> You can like you can bet that they're gonna be like, well, you know, twelve years. Oh well, roll <laughs> there we go. Roll, guys, like, yeah. And, and the thing is, is that if you look at all of the retests, like the IWF isn't stupid. They're not like retesting two thousand nine world samples that got you know fell off the back of a truck in Budapest somewhere. Yeah. Like, they're they're like there aren't retests from like two thousand nine, two thousand ten, two thousand eleven. Like all that stuff is is basically irrelevant. Like. If they can move, if they can roll it up by um, even just a year, then then that's going to get rid of a ton of positive retests. Now, obviously, the ones in London are still in effect, and and other ones and whatever. But like they're, uh, yeah, they're they're basically going to um, uh, be able to roll up uh, a ton of stuff if they manage to do that. And so I wouldn't be surprised to see that sort of. Uh, you know, kind of like jockeying for spots go on in the next, you know, year, however when, long they're going to be deciding this. When was Mohammed's, like, Egypt? Um, he never tested positive at the international level. Um, you mean the country? I think, I think what you're talking about is the Egypt ban, and you're yeah. right, there, there is the potential that Egypt could come back, but I think it was like an 18-month or two-year ban. Um <laughs> And I think that it would, depending on what they put in for the requirements, it's. I think that Mohammed is out because I don't think that did he he didn't do a competition in the second trimester, right? No, he skipped worlds. Uh... Yeah, so I I don't know that I don't know that it's a factor for uh, Ahab, but I don't I don't think that that's a big factor. But it will be. It's always like funny to watch the public explanations for things that where you know the private discussions are uh, are are not quite like what they're saying publicly you know what i mean like it'll be funny to watch like what happens with like like columbia getting a one-year ban starting like may 1st or something and you're gonna be like yeah i'm sure that would have happened without this <laughs> i mean probably what we'll uh, we'll see right is they'll Japan, the IOC in Japan will agree on a date and Colombia's ban will, whenever, you know, whenever that's released, it will retroactively have started like, you know, 11 months and 29 days before the start of the Olympics, the Tokyo 2021 games. And same thing for Romania. I mean, if Niku Vlad has anything to do with it, right? Like, 
Toma will be in Tokyo. Yeah, I wonder if um, what was I gonna say? I wonder if like Ursula. I saw that they extended like Ursula's interim term or whatever. Yeah, she's um, now IWF president until June nineteenth. So yeah, I wonder if like her being quote in charge. I mean, I use that. I use the word in charge like very not seriously. Yeah. Um, I wonder if that'll have any effect on any of this. You know, I wonder if they'll have. I, I wonder if it'll be like okay, ju- you know, Ursula's out in mid June, and then like June twentieth, uh, all these country bands happen just yeah. to get with or whatever, and then the Olympics start on June twenty fifth of twenty twenty one or something. Well, and I forget. Do we know when the McLaren Commission is supposed to give their report too? Because that that might impact things as well. Like if if the McLaren Commission comes back and is like blows everything wide open, then maybe some of this. Uh, these shenanigans won't happen, but I don't know. Like they could have rushed I, things along before Tokyo this year. Now, if you've got another fifteen months to actually work on things, maybe not. I kind of assume that part of the reason for the delay with Ursula stuff was basically because the McLaren Commission was maybe slowed down a bit by the, um, you know, coronavirus stuff. I don't, I don't, I don't have anything to back that up other than just. It being a guess of mine. Have we talked? Um, uh, the thing is, though, I wonder, you know, the IWF had like over a year to prepare for this report. They knew the documentary documentary was in the making uh, well before Europeans when the camera team showed up um, in Georgia. I, I mean, maybe the coronavirus response as a uh, in illustrative uh, comparison, right? Because it's like, all right, we knew these things were coming a year in advance, or even in January, we knew this was coming, but people in power are great at ignoring these sorts of signs. Like, I don't, and maybe you're right, part of me is like, Ion and crew, like, you know, if they were doing something shady, they were probably doing it right up until the very end. I think you, if you're untouchable for 30, 40 years, so like Ion or like Trump, right? Like, why would you think this year is any different? That's true. I'm curious to see if they find anything new that the Germans haven't already uncovered. Or if they, you know, who knows? And maybe the IWF will turn out to be squeaky clean and we are all wrong. I don't know. Um, or- How many things have you guys submitted to the tip line? <laughs> <laughs> Greg was telling me he was at like ten, but I was I was at around twenty, so I don't know if I'm getting everyone here. So maybe we should mention it for the listeners. Did, or did we mention it in the past? I don't think so. They they put in place like a whistleblower website. So if you wanna um, whistle. You have some news, dear yeah. listeners. For the McLaren report, they're happy they're all years um send it in. And this is the same company that did the Russia expose, right? So, I mean, this, they, you know, they, they have experience in this area. Um, I will be, I think I'd be surprised if they didn't find something new, whether it's related to what the German documentary discussed, whether it's something else, but I, I don't know. I guess it depends what kind of damage control the IWF has already been doing. Like you said, Greg, if, you know, up in, at the headquarters shredding documents late into the night or something, but it it's I was surprised to see that that's who they brought on because it's an organization that seems like it at least if the Russia uh, investigation is any indication like they actually have some some skill. Yeah. 
You know, the one thing about this McLaren report, though, that always kind of, like, um, rings kind of, like, questionable to me is that there was stuff in the last McLaren report that I could, like, basically dispute for sure. An example is they they mentioned the 2016 Russian Weightlifting Championships, which Gregor and I were both at. And one of them just... Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they, they said that. that they were make they, they said they held it in some like remote region of Russia and made it too difficult for testers to get to and blah 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 blah. Are you kidding me? Gregor and I were walking in there every day, kind <laughs> of like giving a people. Like Gregor Gregor and I got there. You're telling me the testers couldn't get there? Like I booked a flight on like you know, like Delta.com to get there. It wasn't this wasn't like some sort of like extravagant thing. Like I will give them credit though. Something like going to Grozny was a lot more difficult because Grozny, I had to like book a flight on a different Russian airline and I had to, um, you know, I had to like, we basically had to stay at the competition hotel because Grozny has all sorts of different rules and there were very limited flights in and out of Grozny. So like everyone was on the same flight. I mean, Gregor and I were sitting across the aisle from Ilya on the way back from Grozny to back up to Moscow, like. You know, it's because like, everyone was on, like, and, like, uh, Simon Koleski was on our flight down there. Like, you know, there, there were certain, that was more difficult. But going to Vladikavkaz, are you kidding me? It wasn't tough. But in the report, they were like, they were like, the Russians obstructed us going to Vladikavkaz, blah, blah, blah. Like, no, I don't think they did. Like, you know, that seemed, that seemed kind of made up to me. Because that was a very loosely organized meet. Uh, and, and I was there for the whole thing, so I don't know what they're talking about. But still, they did a good job overall with the Russia thing, I think. Oh, you mean the report did? Yeah. I mean, obviously, obviously, Russia was was like state state sponsored doping, and they were obviously covering it up. Like, I mean, the, the crux of the report was correct, but um, yeah. you know, the I'm just saying, like, some of the details. I always would. Everything I read in that report, I would be like, is that detail right or wrong? Because I know that other detail was wrong. Yeah. Mm. So I am it kind of like it's kind of like when I hear Trump say, well, you know, we're, we've ordered tons of ventilators or something like that. I'm just like, you know what? If it was a, another president, I think I would believe it when they say that. Yeah. And, you know, if that was, um, you know, someone who had some credibility standing up there, like, Like, if Fauci got up and said, you know, yesterday we placed an order for thousands of ventilators, blah, 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 I think I would believe it. But when Trump says it, I don't believe it at all because he also said, you know, well, we have millions of test kits on the way out like two months ago. Yeah. And he also said, like, this isn't a big deal. And he also said this and he also said that. Like, like you know, if you say the wrong thing over and over, you don't really – you kind of, like, lose credibility. And so with the um with the McLaren thing it kind of lost some credibility for me when i knew for sure that one of the you know statements in there about weightlifting was just flat out wrong so anyway that's you know that doesn't mean that i think that the russians were innocent you know i shouldn't go that far well and, and i think the report as much as it may be correct or incorrect about certain specifics misses a bigger picture of just doping more broadly right like that was It makes it look like, oh, my God, the Russians, I mean, and the Russians were egregious. It was ridiculously egregious. But it, it misses the point of, like, how much of this was the IOC turning a blind eye and how much was this going on everywhere just in a different way. And 
what were the conditions that made Russia able to do this so easily? For I mean, you know, was anybody in international sport super, super surprised? Probably some people were, but same thing with the IWF investigation. Like, how many, how many other member federations are complicit that are going to be overlooked or missed entirely uh, because they're focusing just on the IWF and not on a bigger issue? Not to say it's not yeah. important, but it's, it's one part of the issue. Um, you know, getting, getting back to um, kind of some of the, the coronavirus stuff, I mean, what do you guys think is going to happen over the next... Um, I mean, things happen fast. So, you know, like what's, what, what a lot of people don't realize is two weeks ago, there were NBA games being played <laughs> that day. Like two weeks ago, a lot of stuff has changed in two weeks. Two weeks um, ago, so, I did not have a squat rack in my living room. I was it just going to bring this world. up. <laughs> this was one of our topics, um, preparing a home gym, which not only the athletes had to face, but also we um, had to deal with. <laughs> So More I know Ned, <laughs> right? Uh, so I know Ned at the Hooker Palace. You have a little training area, right, with some nice bars and platform. I mean, I have a five thousand square foot warehouse with like all the training stuff already all set up. I mean, it's like the thing is, is that most things about my daily. Okay. You know what's funny? This is for audio professionals. This is probably like me watching someone try to set up my equipment for a weightlift. <laughs> I don't So I don't, here's the thing. I, for some reason, it just stopped. So I'm keeping an eye on everything, right? Like it's recording in Skype and then I have this other program. And so I'm like, I'm looking at the meters and whatnot and I'm making sure the ticker is going up. And then for some reason, when Nat started talking about literally just when you started talking about your home gym, the, the ticker stopped and the meter stopped. I was like, what the fuck? <laughs> So I don't know if it's the software or like, I don't think I ran out of hard drive space from an hour podcast. That's an MP3, but uh, now it's going again. Right. So everybody has uh, a home gym prepared in some, uh, some shape. I'm so, I almost didn't do it. I almost, I was like, ah, do I really need this? Do I, Cause I had to buy plates. But for the longest time you still went to a public gym, right? Yeah, so it was, it was, but I could, it was a 24 hour gym. And so I could go, like, basically, I would go when there'd be like two or three other people there. And it was like minimal, minimal contact. And at that point, Wisconsin had like between, depending on the day, it was like 12 to like 30 cases or something in that period. Um, I think that's when I told you get a squad rate, right? And I got the squat, and the squat rack was super cheap. It was on Amazon, 70 bucks. It was at my house two days later, put it together, huge pain in the ass, forgot a bunch of stuff, had to take it apart, put it back together. <laughs> and uh, at the plates were the one I was like, oh my God, because you know, I needed plates in a rush. I couldn't like wait for something used and cheap to show up on Craigslist. And so I ended up buying a set, uh, the cheapest option I could, off of Rogue. And I am really glad I did right now. Yeah, but once yeah. you have a squad rig, bar, and some place, you can do a lot of things. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, so now Wisconsin is currently, as of today, we're on a 30-day stay-at-home directive. <laughs> so at this point, it's like, all right, I should probably, like, I need to get some change plates. I should order a bench. 
when it was still unclear, like, oh, is this going to be, you know, how long is this going to be? Is it, but if it's going to be at least a month, it looks like, maybe I should order a bench or something to do dips on or pull a bar. Uh, what I've been telling you, and that's what I've been telling here in Germany, because right now here in Germany, it's pretty much, I mean, there's some options still available for like home gym equipment. But all the big sites like Strength Shop, even Rogue Europe, is like they are sold out right now. Yeah, people have I can't get anything rates. on Amazon. It's crazy. It's crazy right now. Um, people are jacking up the squat rack prices. Stuff that costs like ninety euros is now one sixty euros Jeez. for like a really shitty squat rack on Amazon in Germany. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I hope people remember these companies. Um, like, you're well, I mean, not, not getting. Yeah. We got lucky our, our gym just loaned equipment out basically. It like basically in exchange for us still paying our memberships to keep the doors open, we just took some of the equipment home. Do you wanna what? buy my set of rubber coated penlay change plates? Uh how, what are you selling them for? Um I'd probably sell them for like fifty cents a pound, something like that. I don't know. I don't know exactly what that works out to in terms of total price but that's like a normal like used weight price yeah let me and know by the way they're, they're not used and i there's good things and bad things about them the good news is that they're you know they're rubber coated they're colored all that stuff the bad thing about them is that they're they're inaccurate so like the <laughs> the, the the blue plate is like 2.3 kilos so you, you you kind of have to like weigh it and estimate what they are but they are rubber coated change and i'm not i don't use them Did they've you literally them? Did you do a test with these a while ago? Like where you were yeah, calibrating? Yeah. I, I put up a video of me weighing them, being like, this is ridiculous. Why are these all so far <laughs> off? Like, And I complained about it to MDUSA and really never got anywhere with it. Um, they basically didn't respond to any, you know. Well, you put them out of business. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I put, I put them out of business over this. But, uh Anyway, if you want to, if you want to buy those, and I, I could probably put them in like a, a flat rate box and ship them to you. So yeah. that's an option. You want. Let, let me know what they'd be with shipping and whatnot, because I, yeah, I'd need to buy something. So yeah, as long as it's not crazy with well, whatever, whatever a full set is, that's fifty cents a pound. That um, is, and then I think a flat, a, I think a large flat rate box is something like seventeen or eighteen dollars on top of that. So whatever that is is basically how much it would be. Okay. But it's a full set from like like the fives down to the halves or yeah. whatever. That'd be perfect. That's uh I mean at this point, yeah, I'd be happy just with some fives. So yeah. I uh I'll figure out the price. We we don't need to do the math right now, but Yeah, yeah. I mean perfect this material. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> this is what people want to hear. This is this is the reason people stay around for three hour podcasts. This is great for me because I haven't ever used them. Like they, they, they've literally just been sitting. They, they've been sitting on the floor of the palace since the last palace. Which, Jeez. I mean, basically, these have been sitting on the floor for five years, completely unused, just kind of shuffled from place to place. So this would be great if I could get rid of them. Jen, you go to Yasha Faye's gym, is that right? Yeah. Nice. That's so what he let you guys so, take stuff home. So right now, you yeah. I have uh, he lent me he loaned me an Alico bar which was nice and uh, some like 
technique plates. I basically, my house is on stilts, so I can't drop anything. Like if I, even just putting the bar down, the walls shake in my house. So, um, I have enough to do maybe lifts at like 50%, you know, high volume. I don't have a squat rack, unfortunately, which sucks. What do you guys think is, um, the best bang for your buck right now for people who are looking to, uh, get a home gym option? Probably shake weight. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think once you, once you have a like cheap bar, get some used plates. Um, just, I mean, obviously, if you want to do the Olympic lifts, you need to drop them, right? So you need a platform of some sort if you want to do that. Um, but if you just want to keep your strengths up, just squat, press, pull. You don't need a lot for that. And maybe you do like get a pull-up option and like a dip option. I think you could get a lot of bang for your buck out of a kettlebell, honestly couple kettlebells would be a solid workout i mean not talking about people who are trying to do full olympic weightlifting but um you know just general strength training i wish i had kettlebells i think i mean if you have a it depends like what you mean for home gym right like i i can't do anything where i'm like aggressively putting weight down or like doing olympic lifts like i can squat When I was doing pulls the other day, I had to do them like floating essentially. So take it off the ground and then keep it like a, you know, a centimeter or so off the ground in between reps. Yeah. But if, I mean, if you get like a pull-up bar and if you have a chair or something, I think you're pretty, you're on like a good path basically. Like a pull-up bar and a chair and between various like, body weight exercises and whatnot you're pretty well covered and going from there if you can add some weights like kettlebells or but it depends what you want to do too right like for me i just lo- like if i can squat i feel like i've got 90 of what i feel like i should be doing and mm. and so like yesterday this is amazing i've never had a home gym but yesterday i could watch like a movie while getting a squat in like squats sessions in yeah amazing. Yep. i agree I agree. I feel like squats are the most important thing to keep up if, you, if you're trying to maintain strength. Yeah. And then maybe one of these um, dip slash pull-up bar towers. Those are like 90 to 100, 100 bucks. And I think you're pretty much set there. Yeah, get a bar, get some used weights. Um, what else do we want to talk about? Yeah, we made some hand sanitizer. <laughs> and Ned started the trend. I just followed it. And you used the WHO Guide to Local Production, which we're going to link in the show notes. And it's so easy to make hand sanitizer. I had no idea. Once you get the basic ingredients, which is like the alcohol, like the isopropanol, and then you just need something, uh, yeah, some distilled water, some glycerol, and hydro. Yeah. I'm looking at some of the hand sanitizer that Nat sent me from... I'm actually putting up hook grip branded hand sanitizer on the store pretty soon. I bought um, 120 bottles so I could bottle it. That was actually, of all the things to find, that was the toughest thing to find was the bottles. <laughs> like The alcohol was pretty easy to find. Um, the hydrogen peroxide and the glycerol, glycerin, that was easy to find. Um, obviously, distilled water is easy to find. I already had plenty of distilled water from DTG stuff. So um, the bottles proved to be a real challenge, though. I got my initial set from Amazon and overpaid for them by a good amount. 
Mm. Uh, so Baffa has one of the bottles I overpaid for, but or two of the bottles I overpaid for. But it's a really nice just, bottle. I am not throwing this thing away. I don't know what I'm going to do with it, but well, first of all, I'm never going to go through this much hand sanitizer. But after, assuming I ever do, this is a nice bottle. It's really not that nice of a bottle, but I appreciate <laughs> it. But the, the ones I got are legitimately really nice bottles, and they cost me about 30% of what the bottle that you're holding costs. And the ones I got are made out of glass and have a much nicer just bottle overall. So I'm, I'm about to have um, you know 16-ounce hand sanitizers available on Hook Grip. They're not going to be priced like Atastars. They're going to be priced very fairly. And actually, I don't, I don't plan on making um, money off of it. I plan on hopefully not losing money on it. Um, but, I, and you know, the other thing about this hand sanitizer is that even though it is easy to make and it is effective, it's not really as nice as store-bought hand sanitizer because it's not a gel and it doesn't smell good. You know, it's more watery, but I mean, it, it works. It's, you know, it's, I tested the alcohol percentage. It's exactly what it's supposed to be. So it is effective, but, um, you know, it's not, uh, it's not quite as nice as the stuff you would buy that, you know, smells good and has like aloe and blah, blah, blah. But, and by the way, that's another thing that's tough to find. A lot of people suggest mixing 99% alcohol and aloe vera gel, but aloe vera gel is very difficult to find now in any sort of quantity. Like if you want to get like a little, like, you know, 16 ounce thing or of whatever, you know, on, on like Amazon, you can get it. But if you want to get like a good quantity to actually mix up batches of hand sanitizer, I don't see where to get it. Um, other than places that have like truly extreme amounts. Like there was one place I found that was selling 55 gallon drums of hands of, uh, aloe vera gel. Um, that, but it was going to cost a few thousand dollars. So I was like, eh, I'm gonna, you know, pass on that anyway. But yeah, no, I will be putting up a uh, hooker branded hand sanitizer and I'll probably put up a limited amount per day. And like I said, it'll be, it'll be pretty cheap. Yeah. And make a restriction that like one per person or something. Yeah. People will only be able to buy one. And if someone tries to like circumvent it by like, you know, putting in a second order or something, I'm just going to like cancel it. You know, yeah, no, there's not going to be any hoarding allowed from the hooker hand sanitizer. It'll become That's a collector's helpful. item, I think. And Baffa has a rare one because I only made uh, 11 of those bottles and he has two of them. So, got two. And I'm going to change the label to be more uh, accurate, you know. <laughs> this one, yeah, this one's sitting on my desk. I, I was just happy to have some because it was actually hard to buy or impossible to buy. It was impossible for me to buy, yeah. Before Nat sent yeah. me this, I But it was very easy to buy, like isopropanol and the other ingredients. Super easy. And then it's just mixing, really. Put it on a scale, put the put stuff in, and then you're ready to go. Super easy. And now I have like uh, three liters of hand sanitizer. I don't know if I would recommend mixing on a scale, even though the whole idea that like a milliliter should equal like a milligram sort of thing is like a general idea. It That didn't work. I tried that and the numbers were off. So I actually, I used mixing cups that gave me the exact, you know, milliliters that I was putting in of everything. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, don't, anyone out there at home, do not go by milliliter e equaling milligram. It doesn't work. Uh, it's a little bit off. It was off by a factor of like 35%. 35? Really? Yeah. 
like I, I tried that at first. So the way that I tested that was I put exactly one kilo of distilled water into a mixing jar and I used like I have a like a bench scale to do this, which I know is accurate. And um, so I put uh, basically one kilo in and it turned out to be like one point three liters. So um, I think the ratios are off. I think you have to measure this stuff in mixing cups if you want to do it accurately. Luckily, I had a bunch of like these Home Depot. Um, I guess they're meant for mixing paint. But I had a bunch of Home Depot paint mixing cups that were not quite big enough for me to do the whole mixing. And it would have been nicer if like my actual big mixing bottle would have been correct. But, um, or sorry, not correct, but it would have had like all the markings on it. But in the end, I was able to kind of like piece it together with the paint mixing cups. Uh, I got to interject. I'm going to jump off the call. Um, it's nice talking to you fellas. All right. All right. Go mix your, uh, hand sanitizer. All right. We'll do. <laughs> Bye-bye. See you later. Um, all right. So now we can talk shit about Jen. Yeah. 1k really doing great right now. God damn it. Yeah. One. <laughs> <laughs> One K really got into the business at the wrong time for you know for a bunch of bunch of reasons, but you know the whole global epidemic was uh, kind of the you know kind of like the last straw. But anyway, she um, she'll survive. She'll get through it. And you know, once we start having meat in twenty twenty two, it'll be fine. <laughs> I mean, it's really at this point, if you're a weightlifting fan, and we've I think we touched on this last time, but you went from Oh my God, it's going to be so hard to keep up with it. This is recording. God damn it. Um, it was going to be one of the busiest seasons ever. And all of a sudden it's now there's nothing, literally nothing on the horizon. Yeah. It's going to be a long time, I think, before there's like a weightlifting meet because there's a lot of things that'll need to get put into place mm. um, in in different countries and everything to... And, and by that, I mean international weightlifting. I do think there will be some, like, limited national meets here and there. Um, but, you know, there's just not going to be – there's not going to be an international weightlifting meet for a long time that will be, like, really able to be run because there's – like, this is going to be waving through multiple countries for a long time. I mean, and until, like, the whole world until, – until you get, like, 60 or 70 percent – vaccination or immunity throughout the world like this is going to be a major issue and like there's no way around that um you know it's kind of yeah there's going to be hotspots over and over again popping up in different places and then yeah i mean it's not going to end even if your local country like even if you you know you live in taiwan and even if taiwan manages to keep a handle on this now one thing i, I should mention is that even though taiwan has a handle on it Taiwan's still going to have cases. Like the whole point is that they they find the cases, they track them down, they isolate the contacts, rinse and repeat, and like Taiwan's just going to have a slow, steady stream of cases for basically forever until there's you know vaccination yeah. essentially. Because you still, at the end of the day, even if you stop it, you still have uh, a population of people who aren't immune to this virus. So. You're still going to people are still going to get through the cracks. I mean, you know, someone's going to fly in with with no symptoms and like they, you know, will touch the wrong thing and someone will touch that and blah, blah, you know, like 
things are going to slip through the cracks as no matter who you are. But, um, but the problem is, is like, even if Taiwan has their shit under control, even if South Korea has it under control, even if China has it under control, even if someday somehow the U S gets it under control, which I don't have much faith in, but, um, even if that happens, I mean, you know, do you think, uh, India is going to have it under control? You know, it's like, can, can you hold Asians if, like Indians aren't allowed to go. Mm -hmm. It's like, who knows? Well, you know, we don't really know where the continuing hotspots and waves and everything will continue to happen, but we know they're going to keep happening. And even, even in, uh, countries that do manage to get it under control, like let's say in, in four months, Germany has like, like a widespread testing program where you can go get tested on, you know, in any store, you know, any pharmacy, any, this, any, that, Everyone who's been tested has some sort of proof that they've been tested. Everyone who's got it and has immunity has some proof of that. Well, like, let's say that they're super organized. Like, there's still going to be outbreaks in Germany. They'll just be smaller, contained, and whatever. But, like, it's still going to be an issue. Like, you can't make it not an issue. You can just make it a more contained and better organized and better managed issue. I think what Germany should do is um, everybody who had it, Maybe you should put like a star on their jackets or something, or put maybe put a tattoo on. <laughs> yeah, that's a good idea. And just you know, to keep track of things. Also, right? you could you could make it so anyone who doesn't get it goes into a chamber and then they inject some like vapors or gas of the of the virus so they could get it. Taking notes, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think if anybody could do it, and it's Germany. Yeah, Germany could do it. They've got the organizational might. Eradicate things and viruses. Yeah, exactly. And right. on that note. And on that note, <laughs> um, death is going to be a pain in the ass to stitch together, I think. But I'm going to do it tonight. Um, it might not be that thanks. bad. I mean, I have two different recordings. I have the Skype one that has been going the whole oh, right. time. And then, right. so I'm just going to upload everything. And I don't know why... Uh, actually, I, I think I figured out why what has been happening with. Well, let's include this in the podcast, like so oh. the listeners know. Oh my god, it was totally my fault. It was totally my fault. But I could, so, okay, I have my AirPod case next to me, and mm-hmm. I don't. Do you guys like? I cannot stop fidgeting with my AirPod case if I'm holding it, like just clicking it open and clicking it shut sometimes. And mm-hmm. I think when I click it open on occasion, it pairs with my computer which throws everything off that happened to me when i was using the airpods in an earlier podcast so i just don't touch my airpods anymore yeah i just need to not touch the airpods because i'm I'm recording through a mic listen you know monitoring on headphones and whatnot but i have the airpods near me uh and so yeah clearly the just using the airpods like it, it everything just gets thrown out of whack so I think that has been the issue. But yeah, we have the full Skype recording and then we have the the other recordings that are there should be three of them at this point or four. I don't even I've lost count at this point. Well, I'm gonna stitch them all together. Um thank you for listening. Um thank you for the continued support on Patreon. Which by the way, on Patreon we just released episode four of our documentary slash training vlog. Not training vlog, but quo vlog. Um People seem to like it. Thanks for the support. Yeah, um, we, it seems like a bunch of people came out of Patreon just from uh, just for the Guo episode four. It looked like. 
yeah, which is nice because we also lost a bunch of people due yeah. to the, I guess, the Corona thing. So it's nice to see like some back and forth, like, not just losing, but also at least keeping or trying to have a stable subscriber count. Thanks everyone for listening. Again, thank you for supporting. If you can support, that's awesome. If not, because these are shitty times and, uh, you know, clearly our government is not in any rush to get money in the hands of people who need it. We understand the podcast will always be free because that means we can do things like have audio screw ups and it's okay. So, because you're getting your money's worth. Uh, This has been Dr. Again, none of us is doctors. Wash your hands. That's all I will say. Uh, Dr. Nat Aram, who you can find, I mean, at Hook Grip or at Nat Aram. Dr. Baffa and Dr. Gregor Winter is just at Gregor Winter, right? Or Winter Gregor? I forget. I think it's, it's Gregor Winter, right? At Gregor Winter. Or at a at Jinsta, which at is Jinsta. ATGs. But all right, everyone, remember, wash your hands. Good and stay inside for the most part. Don't go near old people and sick people because we got to, as Nat has said, reverse quarantine them since they are the most vulnerable. We'll see you guys sure. later. Yeah.